Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. Hello, this is Dick Drobnik. I'm the director of USC's iBear MBA program. In this time of the COVID-19 pandemic, a time of collapsing economies, soaring unemployment, crashing asset values, and declining commodity prices, Business Class is launching a special series in which we explore the impact of the pandemic on business, markets, and global trade. We start by looking at a small part of the global food supply chain. Our guest is Peter Geyer of Athena Foods International. Peter is a 1992 graduate of the IBR MBA program. Peter's company exports packaged foods, vitamins, and supplements from the United States to China, Indonesia, and markets all over the world. To maintain social distancing, these business class interviews will be conducted via the web. My name is Peter Geyer. I'm the founder and president of Athena Marketing International, which is an export management and consulting firm for food and beverage manufacturers. We assist uh, North American food and beverage manufacturers export their products around the world. We asked Peter about the state of his company's supply chain in this time of global pandemic. I won't say it's an entire complete mess, but it it is messy. Um, You know, this whole thing with the global supply chain with respect to food and beverages started uh, right at the beginning of the year with uh, China. And as you know, a lot of U.S. agriculture and other products are shipped to China, as well as, of course, we receive many other products from China. But in my case, we only export. So we started feeling it in January when it was more difficult to, number one, access Chinese ports because they had either closed them down or were on um, limited availability due to the, the shutdown or quarantine. And secondly, uh, the freight rates were astronomical. So even if a port was open, exporters were paying astronomical prices for freight to get their product over there, which again made our products uh, cost prohibitive. We asked him about this unprecedented shift in supply, demand, and even the ability to conduct business. We became accustomed to having the ability to sell our products everywhere in the world at any time we wanted to. And suddenly we were faced with a situation where, uh, well, we were no longer able to ship our products, or if we could ship our products, it was very, very, very expensive. So now, uh, fast forward, let's say almost three months, in addition to you know the issues I just mentioned, Clearly, the uh, consumer demand has plummeted. So in terms of consumer demand, we've seen a reduction in um, you know, purchases of food and beverage products coming out of the U.S. And particularly devastating has been the food service market, which has nearly evaporated. Um, with the you know, quarantine at home and shelter in place rulings, uh, not only in the U.S., but in almost every other country. All restaurants, coffee shops, bars, hotels, cafes, bakeries are all closed. And we were selling a large amount of uh, food and beverage products to these uh, institutions. 
We wondered if he had ever seen anything remotely similar. I have never in my you know, 30 years of doing international business, have I seen such a dramatic reduction in demand. Um, you know, I was in Asia during the Asian financial crisis of 1998, where certainly demand dropped, but it quickly accelerated once liquidity was pumped into the market. Um, Something similar happened in the U.S. In, in the 2008 financial crisis, although not to the same extent as, as in Asia. Uh, but again, you know, the government stepped in with liquidity and, and you know, businesses and consumers started spending again. This crisis is different in that not only is it a financial crisis because people are losing their jobs, business owners are having to go bankrupt or shut down for long periods of time, but also Consumers can no longer access uh, grocery stores, uh, coffee shops, uh, restaurants. So uh, the manufacturers that I work with, the uh, business owners who have these uh, food service establishments, really have no, no revenue whatsoever, zero. Can you give us a before and after of how your supply chain timing has changed? Well, as an example, we um, we sell uh, vitamins and supplements from the U.S. and we ship to China by air freight. So again, the shipping takes two days. Uh, it's put into a warehouse and you know put online. So within three or four days, uh, consumers can order the products that were shipped from the U.S. So it's you know within 72, 96 hours. Um, now, uh, you know, while there is still demand and consumers can order from their homes, it's much less. And um, the freight is very expensive and the airports also are not flying. So uh, airlines are not flying to China. So it's really disrupted that, that particular supply chain, which used to be almost just in time. He gave us an end-to-end -end description of the sales of one product, from robust to complete standstill. We sell coffee, which obviously the raw materials come from Colombia, Brazil, Indonesia, uh, Africa, wherever. And it's processed in the United States, uh, packaged and shipped to the Middle East. So this entire supply chain is probably about six months from the time we order the raw materials get it into the U.S., produce, package, ship, and then it arrives in the Middle East. Um, so let's say six months. Now, because of the current health crisis we're in and the fact that, let's say, coffee shops, restaurants, bakeries who were serving our coffees are closed, there's no demand. Because these uh, institutions are closed, there's no revenue. So unless the governments of the Middle East, you know, step up to support owners of coffee shops, restaurants, uh, et cetera, this whole uh, process may go away, or at least certainly will be reduced significantly. We asked about the global food supply chain. No, I think consumers are finding uh, also uh, a lack of product on their shelves. Clearly in Europe and Asia, that's happening, particularly with imported goods. And what is on the shelf is only 
you know, staple foods. Um, I'm talking things like, like rice and maybe canned goods. And I think there is, you know, fresh meat. They're still processing plants open. But what I do know um, is that in many um, countries, they're operating on a very um, thin production line staff. So they've pared down their workers who can come to the factories. You know, so instead of running three shifts, they might run only, only one shift. So there's clearly less food being produced, less food being shipped, and therefore less variety and availability on the retail shelves globally. Switching to business strategy, we asked Peter what, if anything, his business could have done to protect itself against this type of event. You know, there have been a couple industries we work in that um, were more resilient than others. So, for example, a few years ago, we branched out into the, the supplements, vitamins, and other nutritional products categories. So these particular categories have done extremely well during this crisis. And um, our brands that we represent, they can't produce enough and ship enough. And so we're seeing increased demand from international customers who sell vitamins and supplements and nutritional products because everybody overseas wants to build their immunity, they want to you know, be strong and, and resist this virus. So they're buying all these supplements, which, which makes sense. And, and that particular industry also is um, heavily relying on e-commerce as opposed to grocery stores. So um, I, I think if, to answer your question, I would say you know, we could have um, played a little more heavily in categories which would be you know, more resilient to a, uh, a crisis like this. Just like, you know, I think exports are good because uh, oftentimes the U.S. is slow and international markets are growing. So, um, you know, U.S. firms kind of balance their uh, revenue by diversifying, you know, their geographical reach. Um, another industry which has done well is, is the natural products industry. So I think consumers around the world are now saying, hey, I want less, you know, processed foods, less sugar, less fat, and I'm going to start eating maybe it's plant-based foods or organic foods. And, and so this vertical has done well uh, during this crisis. We asked Peter to go deeper on making a business resilient. I think the key is diversification of your business model. So while we have diversified in terms of our products, so uh, yes, we represent, you know, fatty foods and chocolate companies too. But, um, you know, having had the foresight to get into vitamin supplements, natural foods, I think that that helped. Secondly, diversifying your um, geographical reach has helped. Take a restaurant, for example. If a restaurant simply just um, had guests coming into their restaurant and sitting down and ordering a meal and leaving, and that's it, they would have no revenue today, right? Because restaurants are all closed. However, if they have a nice business on Uber Eats or DoorDash or, you know, whatever these uh, delivery services are, that's, they're still operating today. If they have a, a takeout service, um, if they have a small uh, production kitchen where they're packaging up their sauces or spices, or maybe they're shipping the Blue Apron, uh, their frozen foods, whatever. But that's what I'm talking about by building 
diversification, which equals resilience. We went hypothetical to get a better look at the current realities of his business. We asked him to imagine that he had received a giant order that had to be delivered no matter what. Am I dreaming this? Is it real? <laughs> we wanted to know if he could get through by truck. Yes, you can. Trucking is an essential service and uh, trucks are required to operate. Yes. Shipping. Yes, it is more expensive, um, both by, uh, by truck and by sea and by air. They've all put uh, premiums on uh, the freight rates now. Then Peter brought up an unexpected problem in the supply chain. Uh, what's really impacted us is banks have also limited the um, transfer of, uh, of U.S. dollars or foreign currencies out of the country. So we're getting, uh, we're having difficulty getting paid by our international customers. But why? I mean, it could be because, um, you know, they, they, they want to keep the foreign reserves in their countries. It could also be that, you know, banks are also on limited hours with their employees. Um, you know, some foreign countries, you know, the, the bankers don't work very hard even during <laughs> boom times. But now it's, uh, you know, they just, all of them are at home. We moved to air freight. I heard the statistics, 75 to 80% less uh, flights now internationally. Um, so, which means, you know, we used to ship out any day we wanted to. Now it might be, you know, one or two flights a week might be going to Shenzhen or Beijing, whatever. And also those rates are much higher and take longer to, uh, to clear customs and get to the warehouse in the foreign country. We move to the don'ts of business strategy. Clearly don't be 100% you know, focused on one vertical or one channel or one geography because in the event that particular channel or geography goes away or has a hiccup, you know, you'll be impacted. You know, I think companies are going to look at their fixed overheads and their employees and whether they need, you know, big offices anymore. You know, what I'm finding is where can we cut and looking at every single line item saying, gee, I don't think we need this anymore because we've gone without it now for a couple months and let's take it out of our budget. Once this is over, Will you or other businesses be able to trust the supply chain again? Uh, again, we, we can't be too heavily reliant on one source. Um, I think the successful companies uh, are those companies that have had multiple sources of uh, you know, the same products. So uh, obviously companies like McDonald's, they always have two or three French fry suppliers. Uh, you know, Starbucks has multiple coffee suppliers. So big companies like that have done it. I think, you know, small to medium-sized businesses should also plan for that. So um, I think it just, has, this whole crisis has shown us we need to um, have more uh, options available to us so that when one option is uh, eliminated, we have something to fall back on. We asked what has become very obvious? It's, it's been unfortunate, but I think, um, you know, what we're seeing is that we need to take things more seriously. Uh, what, what I take away from this is the, the countries, well, two things. One, uh, take it seriously, but also 
you know, listen to our, our governments. Uh, the, the countries that have weathered this virus the best have been those that um, took immediate action and pretty drastic action. Um, reminds me of a little, um, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the square that Andy Grove drew and he put four quadrants, you know, and uh, one quadrant was, you know, early action and another one was late action. And then one was like light action and heavy action. And so the, the ones that were in the quadrant of heavy action, you know, early were the ones that succeeded. And so um, in our case, you know, the US, I don't think took heavy action and I don't think they took it early. So um, we're suffering the consequences now, but look at countries like Taiwan, uh, Singapore, even Hong Kong, um, you know, okay, they might live in more authoritarian uh, regimes over there, but they they were very successful, and I think they're going to come out of it um, less scathed than, uh, than we are. Has he seen other business leaders making the right decisions? Uh, you know, I think those CEOs who have been out front um, – I uh, forget the guy's name, but the, the CEO of, of PayPal came out and said, you know, no worker is going to be terminated during this crisis. He said, if a worker is sick, we're going to pay them. So, um, you know, I think leaders that um, instill confidence in their people uh, show leadership during this period and, um, you know, really uh, take the high road, I think, are, are going to be successful in the future. So that's kind of who I look to. I, you know, I have a daily um, kind of call with my team by Zoom every day. And yesterday I told them about, um, you know, when I was in, uh, I was in Korea during the 1998 financial crisis and I was working for Nestle. And at that time we had about a 50% market share and the other 50% was with um, a Korean subsidiary of Kraft, the, the U.S. coffee and food company. Well, um, after the crisis, of course, there was no liquidity. Our customers couldn't pay us. And Nestle just kind of cut them off and said, sorry, you know, we, we can't ship you any more coffee until you pay us. And uh, Kraft, on the other hand, extended credit and oftentimes, you know, six, nine, 12 months. And they actually gave them a lifeline and uh, continued to ship coffee. And um you know, it emerged. Uh, I ended up leaving a couple years later, but um, I heard Nestle's share went, you know, almost down to zero and they closed their coffee factory. His advice. So, you know, we got to be uh, be kind, be supportive to our customers, our employees, other stakeholders, and uh, we will get through this crisis, but people have long memories and they will remember how you acted during this crisis. Business Class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, producer, Pankaj Bhushan, director, Dan Griffin, web developer, Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.